I was listening to the radio, and and I've said this before, I encourage you to listen to things and read things. Because I sometimes watch programs on television. We watched Richard Osman's quiz program. We got so fed up with the news during COVID, we started watching the quiz programs on BBC Two. And it really is concerning that people who are regarded obviously with sufficient interest that they're on a program like that and are influencers in society and social media and all the rest of it. But it's very concerning just the ignorance that exists within many, especially with respect, many younger people within our society. Sometimes it's because of educational issues and there's no doubt about that. Um, but sometimes it's just ignorance, born out of ignorance. You've heard me quote before, the problem with social media is it allows the ignorant to display their arrogance and the arrogant to display their ignorance. And in such a culture, then all sorts of things can happen and people just don't have a clue and don't understand. So I encourage you to listen to things. I've told you this, you'll be fed up me saying that. Get a decent paper or go online and get a decent paper. Don't just listen to what the social media people tell you or listen to things. And there was a program on it was telling us about such situation in Russia, very concerning. For the first time, really, since Stalin's era, people were being reported to the police by their own family members or by school, other children at school or by work colleagues. And they're being reported to the police because they're having the temerity to call into question President Putin's special operation in Ukraine, or to question other aspects of the government's rule and reign in that vast country. And although, as yet, the commentator said, it doesn't, nobody has, apart from people who are well-known, one or two well-known people did at the beginning, they got arrested and put, put into prison. But normal people, though as yet it doesn't appear that any of them actually have been put in prison, they are kept in the cells overnight, they're interrogated, they're watched, and they're put under pressure. So here, listen again to what I'm telling you. Children are betraying their parents. Brothers are betraying their brothers or sisters. Colleagues at work are reporting people that they stand in the shop floor with or live out their working life with. And the commentator was making the point that that really came to the fore during Stalin's rule in Russia from the 1920s to 1953. Indeed, this year marks, if you want to, in that kind of way, mark the 70th anniversary of his death. He died in March 1953. And the whole culture was cultivated within that country of people turning in or betraying family members because of their questionable comments. Indeed, in the program I was listening to, there was a, a, a song being sung from the 1930s, I think it was, a patriotic song, so it was called Lauding This sign of faithfulness of the proletariat to the regime by betraying other people. And then they interviewed, again, an interview from that era of someone or from the secret police who was commending someone who had a brother who had turned against his father and actually asked the regime to kill his father because his father was an enemy of the state. 
How did they get away with all of that? How did that happen? How did people get influenced to think like that? Well, there's a whole story about Russia, which some of us perhaps should maybe another time in another place out with a Sunday morning we need to think about and talk about. But part of it was because of the influence of a man and of a religion, a cult, that was built round that man, the man being Joseph Stalin and those who were gathered round about him. And the influence of that within Russian society, 70 years after his death, is still there. That's why Russia, the leaders of Russia, are dangerous people and need to be stood up against, including being willing to face nuclear demands and threats. They're evil. The influences are evil. But of course, that is the story of history. And again, that concerns me. There's people who are influences in society, and as I hear them answer some of the questions, they neither know the history nor geography or anything much else, apart from what's the music scene of the present time. Because history tells us that down through history, there have been those who have developed a religion or a philosophy. They have developed a cult of personality, and that has vast influence over whole hosts of people who, because they didn't think, they didn't reflect, and supremely because they didn't know God, were like lambs led to the slaughter this past week and the Holocaust anniversary and the influences of all of that down through the years, not just what happened to the Jewish people, but this morning, if you're listening to the radio service, what happened in Rwanda, what happened in Armenia, what's happening in the world today in different parts of the world, including amongst the, the people, some part, one of the tribal peoples in China. How can that happen? Because people are influenced by a force greater than themselves. That was true in ancient Rome, particularly as the writer to the book of Hebrews wrote this essay, this lecture, rather more than just a letter, this statement that was sent out to the churches, and primarily to churches that had a Jewish influence, hence the reason why there are so many references to the Old Testament. He's reminding his listeners who are born and brought up with that Jewish background of the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. But he's writing it at a time when the cult of personality really was on the rise. We might all think that was very much part of the Roman Empire. It actually wasn't initially. That's not to say people didn't carry a great amount of influence. People like the original Julius Caesar and all these kind of folks. But by the time of the second half of the first century, the cult of personality really began to come to the fore, finding its figure in Nero and then subsequent emperors that ruled in Rome. And that cult gathered around that person led to extreme things taking place, including, again, some of us will remember the story of when Emperor Nero himself was responsible for the burning down of the city of Rome, and of course he blamed other people. Think times don't change. Things don't go right with you, so what you do is you blame someone else. That's true in our own lives, in our own circumstances, and much as in the global scene. And Emperor Nero did that. And the streets leading into Rome were lit, not by gaslight, or by electricity, or by normal oil lamps, but by people who were being crucified, being set alight. Jewish people included, and some Christians. And things were only going to get worse. And Peter, in his letter, 
warns the church of that. And so in such a place as that, and I would suggest even within our own contemporary society, maybe not, and Elizabeth reminded today, I'm very conscious I'm preaching to people my age and generation, largely, but to those who are younger, and to our children and grandchildren growing up within that context, and to those who perhaps are listening online who are younger, in such a void of common sense, apart from anything else, where all sorts of influences are brought to bear, and where various philosophies and ideas are floating about, we need to know the truth. The truth that Jesus said would set us free from all of that. And that starts and ends, as it should, because he is the Alpha and the Omega in Jesus Christ. The writer, and if you want to, if you have your Bibles open, or open them up, or put them on the phone, or whatever other means you now use, we, remind, we reminded ourselves a few weeks ago, these opening verses to the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And as we've already commented, really much of what follows now is an opening up of that opening paragraph, that opening statement. It's all about Jesus. Well, you'd expect a minister and a bit to say that anyway, wouldn't you? But it is all about Jesus. It wasn't planned. I mean, Andrew, you, he was going to be interviewed this morning, but I hadn't told him what questions. I was going to wait to see what came of it. You know, go with the flow. But that came out, I hope anyway, very clearly from what was said. That whatever age we're at, and whatever we're involved in as a church, and that's important to take note of, wherever we're involved in as a church, even outward social ministry and all the rest of it, at the end of the day, if it doesn't have in its heart the revealing of Jesus and the call to men and women and young people to get to know him, then actually as a church we have to question whether we should do it or not. There's plenty of other agencies in the world who will do other worthy things. But our calling as the banner tells us outside, if you look at the logo, is to know Christ and to make him known. And that's the desire of the writer of the book of Hebrews, that in this climate that I've explained to you, they would get to know the one who is the radiance of God's glory, who is the exact representation of his being, who sustains all things by his powerful word, and who's now at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and whose name is much, as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is superior to theirs. It's all about Jesus. And we saw a fortnight ago that he opens that up. And we pick up in verse 5 of chapter 2. 
or rather verse 1 of chapter 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its judged punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It matters what you think about Jesus. You know, that's the question at the pearly gates, or however it may be. And I'm not suggesting there are gates, I'm not suggesting that Peter's standing there either, but you know what I mean. First and foremost, the question you will be asked will be the same question in many ways that Jesus asked the disciples. What do people say that I am? What do you say that I am? And your eternity whether it's heaven or hell, will depend on your answer. Is he the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is he the Lord? Is he my Messiah, my Deliverer, my Savior? Because if he's not, you won't get in. And that's why in our contemporary culture, it's so important that we're clear about who Jesus is and that we spend time sitting at his feet. You remember the well-known story of Martha and Mary in Luke's gospel and Jesus comes to visit the house and they're all running about mad and everything else. I'll just read it to you. Luke 10, Jesus' disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I could just I always read that. I can imagine my mum red in the face running about having a tussy, you know, getting organized for people coming. <laughs> That's the picture it brings to me. You just imagine all fizzed up, you know. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, or only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen what is better, and we're not taken away from her. We could even open up the door. We can even be about the church. We can even appear to be doing good things, needful things. But my friends, if we're not spending time at the feet of Jesus, metaphorically perhaps, but you know what I mean, then we've really missed the point of all. And what is the point? Well, those verses that Evan kindly read to us earlier from the latter part of chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, and also our salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. 
For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abram's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, I was listening to some talking about the Holocaust, and the question is raised often, why was it that people just didn't rise up in rebellion? And, and you know, these camps, and all right, they might have got shot in the process, but at least they were doing something. And would it not be better in some ways to be shot, at least doing something, than passively walking into the gas chambers or being treated as, as worse than animals and being beaten to death? But you know how? Why? Generally speaking, it was born out of fear. And, there's an, and things that we can't really understand. Even although they knew that if they went through that doors, well, at least the, latterly they knew. At the beginning, they didn't. But latterly they knew they went through those doors, that was it. Nonetheless, while they were still standing, even in the midst of everything that was wrong about them, they still feared death, and therefore they weren't going to do anything that was going to bring death closer to the door. Now, we can sit here in the comfort of 2023 and, you know, in middle-class suburbia and Nuddingston and all the rest of it and think, well, why, why wouldn't have been like that? a different story when you are. That's why God's perfect love casts out all fear. Christians are the last people that are meant to cower in fear, imprisoned by things that have happened to you outside, or indeed things that are within. We're meant to stand. And having done all to stand, because in Christ, the power of death, that is the devil, has been broken. And how did he do that? He didn't do it sitting on a throne, distant and removed from the realities of the world. Love came down and entered into the frailty of human flesh. No wonder the shepherds worshipped. No wonder the wise men were filled with awe. No wonder Mary pondered deeply those great truths. All the message of Christmas. That's why it's so sad that people focus on Christmas and forget about the rest of the story. No other religion or philosophy in the world teaches this or focuses on a man or a human being. There is a man in heaven, we're told. who has become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, verse 17. And he's there because he became human in every way, but did not sin. And he was tempted. We all know that, don't we? The power to resist is the real challenge, isn't it? Aris McCall's were selling off cheap chocolate at Christmas. And I bought some bars, to be fair, to be used um, for things we did in the church. Remember the bars we passed around on Christmas Day. And there was two that they were selling. Um, You're the best and love you lots. <laughs> and remember, we used them on Christmas Day. So. But I had a few. I still have a few. Um, the wee side story, a wee bit fun. I'm having terrible trouble at the dentist, but that's by the way. So keeping in with them. You know, you got workmen in the house, you always make them a cup of tea. Well, you have your mouth open, the dentist is down a half, and you go and give them a bar of chocolate. <laughs> so at Christmas time, I went and delivered a big bar of chocolate to them. But afterwards, when I began to look through the bars, I thought, I thought I had more of. I intended to give them, you're the best. But I began to think I'd given them, I love you lots. 
so when I was there last week to get my tooth out, I thought, I better get this clear before I'm lying out there at his hands. He assured me I'd said, you're the best. I said, well, I hope you've been at the gym in order to get this tooth out, you know. What was the point of that story? <laughs> A good question, actually. Oh, the temptation, that was what the point is. That's what happens when you go off, off piece. It's in that drawer resisted. My wife will tell me I'm a terrible tempter. I'll come through. Here's just a wee bit. You know, we see the wee horns coming out. You know? I was telling her during the week there that I'm the same weight as I was 10 years ago. I'll not tell you what Elizabeth said about her weight. But it's hard to resist, isn't it? And we laugh. It's good to have a wee bit of laughter. Like the f- but you see, Eve saw the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it was pleasing to her eyes. And she couldn't resist. And there wasn't a bit of chocolate she dangled before Adam. Nor was it even just a piece of fruit. It was that access into that. Just think of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And the devil coming along and saying, well, you know, you're hungry, so, I mean, there's some stones lying here. Why don't you make them into bread? Or, well, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know how people are going to respond to you. So why don't you just show some miraculous deeds? And Ebdo will say, oh, my goodness, you know, you are who you're meant to be. And if you do that, I'll give you. It's a raw deal, actually. Half the kingdoms of the world. But you'll get a bit. Think of the garden of Gethsemane where he sweat drops of blood as he saw not just the cross and the physical pain of that, but all that that was going to mean to him. On that cross, the eternal son who lived in perfect harmony with the father. And what happened? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because your sins and my sins were laid upon him. He is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. Think of that. We cannot truly think of that because it's beyond our comprehension. The very creation shook as the Godhead was torn apart. And he did that for you and for me. And the empty tomb and the risen Christ the one who we're told makes atonement for the sins at one mint, makes it possible for human beings who are fallen and sinful to know and to live in a relationship with a holy and perfect God. His outstretched hands pierced for our transgressions. And he has the power to make us holy, both the one, verse 11, who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, a son and daughter of the living God, being made right, Paul talks in Romans, of being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he did that. Because his delight and desire is to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 10. And he is the pioneer of our salvation. This is Jesus. And 
we fall at his feet and cry, go away from me, a sinner. And he reaches out his hand and calls us and invites us to come. How deep the Father's love is for us. And how we thank God for him and songwriters, both ancient and modern, who in very eloquent ways help us to reflect on the great truths of the faith. And that's why, at the beginning of chapter 3, the writer says, therefore, always like that we were, therefore, things follow on. And he says, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It's true, isn't it? We're talking about influences. It's true that someone's faithful influence, if we see that in life, can have a very powerful impact on it. It might be somebody who was very faithful and committed to their working life, and you could see that. And that inspired us and encouraged us to, to be likewise. It might be a teacher at school. It might be somebody as a friend or a relationship. It might be the example of our own parents or grandparents or whoever. But their faithfulness to a relationship, to their work, to their life, to their partner, to friends, that speaks volumes. And as God's people, therefore, reflecting on the faithfulness of Jesus, and that's what Peter is, and that's what the writer is talking about in these opening verses in chapter 3, as we reflect on the faithfulness of Jesus, that's meant, as we heard with Andrew and the young people earlier, that's meant to impact on who we are. We are to be faithful people. But of course we know that we all have our good days and bad days. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or so-so. And our faithlessness can so easily come upon us for a whole host of reasons. We can have good intentions, but the hassles of life, things that come along our way, the worries and the cares and the fears that I mentioned earlier, concerns, can so easily encroach. What other people think, what other family members or friends or those we work beside, their influences for good or ill or so-so, all of that and so much more can play their part. But also, particularly when it comes to the people of God, and that's why the writer here particularly refers to the story of the Old Testament, there is a warning there. And thankfully, most of us sitting here, anyway, in church this morning, if not those who are listening at another time in another place, know the story, the general story of Israel. Here is a people of God, let's be honest, who saw amazing things. They saw waters open up. 
They saw them be delivered into a land of promise. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw water coming from a rock. They saw great battles being won when, humanly speaking, they would easily have been washed away and destroyed and killed. And yet, when they saw the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, what was the report of those who came back? Well, all but two said, oh, it's a lovely place. I'd like to spend my holidays, but don't ask me to stay there because the guys and the girls are pretty big and they've got big floats. Fear, once again, eat, ate into their hearts. That's why fear is so bad and so dangerous. Then, of course, we know the story later on. The story of the great kings of Israel. And yet, they weren't perfect. And then things got worse than that. And you read in the book of Kings, don't you? That king or this king did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it just got worse and worse. And they ended up in Babylon. They ended up in exile. The whole story. Well, again, thank God you good folks here do know your Bibles. And I know that. And, and they were brought back out of nothing. And yet they were hardly in the land of promise once again. And what happened? They began to mutter and moan. And the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, is warning them that their faithlessness will cost them dear. And they're not bringing their tithes into the temple. And it wasn't just the fact they weren't bringing them money. They weren't bringing their lives. All of that is meant to be a warning. Paul, and it's good that we know that there's other people warning. Paul, these words. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they'd all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I'm talking about the, 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 the commandments coming down in the cloud in Mount Sinai. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them to the rock that was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. Some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality. Some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for us in whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. Remember just what we said earlier about Jesus being faithful? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it forever. And he goes on on that tone as a preparation for sharing in the Lord's Supper. A warning from history. We need to repeat that warning today in our times about Russia, about what's going on in the world. We need to learn from history of the warning of how easily human beings out of fear can be influenced and persuaded to either be silent and just give in to things or go along with things that are downright wrong. 
But within the life of the church, we need to learn from the history, not just of the people of Israel, although that is important, that's why we spend time on it, but the history even perhaps of people we know. Here again, the warning from Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you, verse 12, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as just has been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. In truth, you know what particularly can lead you astray. What fears particularly knock at the door. What unresolved issues in your life you have failed to deal with, and now they're simply projected out in the story of your life. And as a pastor, I've seen that all too often, sadly. I've included an intimation sheet, a wee thing, from something we were doing on Friday at one of the fellowship groups. is actually from the book of Ephesians, but that's not the point. The story of spiritual decline. Perhaps in your own time, you can just go through that and allow God to use that, of how your mind starts to be changed and how it can lead you to. This is serious. That's why the writer of the Hebrews tells us to fix our thoughts on Jesus. That's why he tells us at the beginning of chapter 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received a just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? How could a country be turned to embrace and indulge in such evil? History tells us it can happen. How can a professing Christian be turned away from God and his heart can become cold and, yes, outwardly perform the facts and the deeds, but no little or nothing what it is to sit at the feet of Jesus? Ian's sermon last Sunday, the warning of King Jeroboam, is so true. Today is the day of salvation. If you need to confess something, let go of something, find healing in Christ for something, then don't neglect the day. For none of us knows what tomorrow will bring.